0: Welcome to Goddard Glitter, you absolutely gorgeous jelly beans of hope and faith and love. I am, look, I'm in a place. That place is no longer the halfway house that I have been residing in. I'm now back in my home, but truth be told, I'm missing the institutionalized lifestyle. I'm struggling. So just give me um, a little bit of grace with when the episodes come out. I know you're used to me making these excuses and um, you're just, you know, hanging on with me. So I really appreciate that. Just giving you the heads up now that uh, I may be a little bit unhinged as per, as per usual, um, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. So what else is new? Can't believe I'm saying this, but we are at episode 20. Last week was episode 19, uh, but we did part one, the first half of chapter 12, I'll Kill Her. So this is part two of that same chapter. Um, We're going to wrap that up and I hope you enjoy it. The chapters are becoming more and more difficult for me to read as we go along. So that's just another excuse that I'm holding on to, to give myself a little bit more grace between episodes. I think what's happening if I try and assess myself, um, I think what's happening is that I'm becoming closer to the content because less time has passed. And yes, there's been a lot of therapy, a lot of healing um, work that's gone on in particular areas. Some things are less painful than others, um, but a lot of the childhood stuff has been processed. And um, sure, there are things that hang on and that are deeply ingrained that, you know, you'll probably be battling for the rest of your life. I'm, I'm saying a, you know, an all round you for all of us that carry wounds from childhood. Um, but as we get closer to the second half of the memoir, less time obviously has passed. So I'm delving into things that perhaps haven't been as deeply explored. So let's just See what happens as we go along. Um, I might be able to hold it together. I might lose my goddamn shit. If you want to be along for the ride in another realm other than just the podcast here in your ears, I'm doing a TikTok. You can catch up on what I did in the halfway house. I'm doing a day by day record of what. My experience was just a couple of minutes every day about how that went down. I recorded it in real time, so I'm not flashing back. It's all just stuff from that period of time um, that I shot on the day. So if you want to come along for that ride with me and you're on TikTok, the handle is at memoir. So it's just a totally different kind of experience of mental illness in, <laughs> in full motion. help oh you guys how are you all doing I know the world is looking bleak at the moment and we're coming into holiday season as well which although can have its magical beautiful sparkly sheen on a lot of things um, I love decorating my home I love twinkle lights I love Christmas trees, I love candles, um, and I love the whole spirit of Christmas. Obviously, we know, we all know that the holidays can be a difficult time of year for a lot of us, so let's just bandy together and hold on tight by the seat of our pants, because we've gotten through it up until this point, and we can do it again. It's also... Scorpio season, so that's you know, my season, that's my realm, I'm Scorpio through and through, unfortunately, sun and moon, Pisces rising for anyone interested, um, hence my insane emotional swings, look we can call it mental illness, but I believe the sun, moon and stars know what's going on inside me a lot better than any psychiatrist out there because fuck me it's been a ride since the day I was torn from my mother's stomach uh c-section baby thanks guys yeah Mm -hmm. Apparently, that's like an issue as well. So, you know, mum always says that everything in life is the parents' fault and particularly the mum's fault. So I do blame her from the second I was born because apparently you're more likely to be sickly if you don't get uh, the vaginal bacteria on you when you come out through a vaginal birth. So thanks a lot for that, mum. Off to a great start. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so kidding. I'm so no shame in how you choose to birth your baby or how you have to. But I, why am I getting into birth plans? Fucking shut up. Okay, let's get into the episode. Please follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Gutta Glitter Memoir. Uh, get a hold of the book in your hot little hands. Um, You can go into the show notes and there is a link to the Etsy page, which goes directly through me so I can sign a copy for you and get it your way as soon as possible. There's a cat on my table now. So excuse any bumping or noises. Excuse me, dusty boy, my toothless wonder. And you can also order the book, from Amazon, Worldwide, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, Booktopia, Fishpond and more. So all you have to do is Google Gutter Glitter Kirsten Moore and the book should come up for you wherever you are in the world. But if you want to help me out make the big bucks, please go down the Etsy route. That's the, the best way to help me out. The other best way is to share the podcast with people, please. And if you have the book already, post a little photo of yourself with it on Instagram or, you know, even make a story or something. That would be so amazing. Linking to the podcast or where to get the book. All of this stuff really, really helps. So I really appreciate everyone's support so far. All your messages, I'm reading all of them and they mean the world to me. So let's just keep this train running. Thank you so much for listening so far and enjoy the rest of this chapter. I'll kill her. I said that so nicely (laughs) for such a a toxic sentence. I'll kill her. Chapter 12, Part 2. Of, I'll kill her. Mum was my lifeline and would answer the phone at the drop of a hat. I would call her at all hours, hyperventilating down the phone as she tried her best to calm me down at 3 a.m. Canadian time. She reminded me how loved I was and that despite the distance I was not alone. Dad and I were still talking weekly. Every Thursday afternoon, he would call me without fail. He, who had fluctuated from driving me insane to inspiring me with his genius, was now the only person showing me that others had felt this level of despair and that it was possible to survive it. Others would poorly hide their expressions of concern, confirming my suspicions that I had crossed over to unhinged territory. But not Dad. Dad got it. I found out about Simon and his new gal pal from a cheery little Facebook post of the two of them together. I was never able to call her his girlfriend. I was his girlfriend. My brain never quite made the jump. Simon had long since blocked me on account of my regular drunken rage blackouts where I would tag all his photos with descriptive, gentle terms. However, on this day, a concerned friend thought it would be helpful for me to see how well he was doing without the old ball and chain and sent through some screenshots of his page. It's better you hear it from me. So, sweetie. Hugs, XOXO. Those were the last words I read before I turned into a homicidal maniac. I opened my phone to find a montage of photo booth shots. You know the ones that were cute back in the 90s when teen rom-coms depicted true love by strategically placing one of those rolls of film on Jennifer Love Hewitt's mirror? There it was, in black and white. Confirmation that he was happier without me. He'd never done a cute photo shoot with me. Maybe she brings out the fun side in him. Does he have a fun side? I'm a goddamn laugh a minute. Why didn't I get fun, Simon? How dare they be happy when I'm crawling out of my skin with grief? I think that's one of the cruelest things about a breakup. Someone will always be happy again first. It had been two months since the death of my best friend and only weeks since her funeral. Yet here he was, flaunting his happiness online. He sat next to me at Sam's funeral, holding my hand. Was he with her then? I have never hated anyone more. I called mum in Canada at the sight of the new couple's smiling faces. When she answered, I was crying so hysterically that it took several attempts of me screaming, he has replaced me down the phone line before she finally understood what I was trying to say. I couldn't breathe. It was another panic attack. By now, they were happening multiple times a day. Even at uni, I would have to sneak away to the disabled toilets to sob my heart out on the floor, trying not to faint from lack of oxygen. I would hold my hands tightly over my mouth, run the taps and flush the toilet so that no one could hear the sound of my heart breaking. My shaky hands would open an oxy and rack out a line or two, which I would inhale with a sigh of relief. Please help me. I'd beg the thin white lines. Then, after a few minutes, I would stand up, straighten out my crisp white lab coat, and go back to treating patients for their irritable bowel syndrome and psoriasis. I cried so much, I didn't even know where the tears were coming from. I was sure I would dehydrate from a lack of fluid. The breaking of my heart was a physical searing in my chest and convulsive gripping in my gut. I felt like I was dying, like I was terminally ill. But there was no disease to treat or broken bone to mend. Mum stayed on the phone while I used the landline to call my psychiatrist. He organised a bed for me at the psychiatric hospital for the following day. We arranged for my brother to come and stay with me for the night so I wouldn't be alone. My psych sent the CAT team, the crisis assessment and treatment team, to my house to assess how likely I was to kill myself. Answer? Very. I wanted my parents'. I wanted Simon to tell me it was all a misunderstanding and he was coming back. I wanted Sam to show up on my doorstep with magazines and peanut M&Ms, making it okay. I wanted any part of my life to be recognisable again. When the cat team arrived, they started asking me questions about my past. They were particularly interested in my history with anorexia. The recovery rates for people with severe eating disorders are so low that the fact I was able to recover displayed a certain level of strength. I didn't feel strong. I felt like a shell of a person. But maybe they were right. Overcoming anorexia had felt like an impossible task, but somehow I'd made it. Could this be the same? I had no idea. But seeing as no one was going to let me kill myself today, I had no option but to believe. They then started to talk to me about where I would be staying. They offered me a room at a public residence and gave me the address, which sounded familiar. I confirmed the location on Google Earth, only to have my horrifying suspicions confirmed. In typical disaster movie fashion, the facility was directly in view of Simon's house. I don't mean down the street and around the corner. I'm saying I could see his bedroom window from the ward. What in the actual demonic bullshit is that? What if I'm sitting in bloody art therapy doing some docile finger painting and I turn around to see his new girl pull up outside his house for date night? Am I just supposed to sit here and not commit double homicide? What do you mean? Dear God, um, yeah, hi, hi, it's me. I was just wondering, what is your trauma? Sincerely, Kirsty. To protect myself from a murderous rampage, I decided to forego the free public residence available within my jurisdiction and instead spend all my life savings on a private hospital stay a few suburbs away. Here I was, asking for help, and it was as though the universe itself was laughing at me. How far can we push her before she snaps? I've snapped! Jesus, I concede! I was no longer just being tested. I was being baited. Kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself. The universe whispered maniacally. These words rang on repeat in my head for months on end. Sometimes I'd even whack myself on the head in an attempt to dislodge the words, like someone you'd see lurking around North Richmond Station. But nothing worked. They were here to stay. I want to, I'd reply. Within 24 hours of calling mum, she was on a plane home from Toronto, and I was setting up in a psych ward, a safe distance from Simon's place. I looked at my small, lonely hospital bed, and imagined Simon being held lovingly in his king-sized bed, a warm body next to him, protecting him from feeling this hell. The sense of injustice transformed my despair into an adrenaline fueled rage. I had lost everything. Every fucking thing. The last six months had been a storm of shit so powerful that when asked how I was coping, I would have to pick and choose which tragic events were significant and which the masses could do without. For example, my general reply might include the loss of Sam, followed rapidly by my breakup. These were the big hitters. But a concurrent shitstorm would kick me to my knees every time I attempted to stand. This is what had me convinced I was cursed. Sorry, no, that should be cursed with a C. For instance, my childhood Cocker Spaniel, Yoda, needed to be put down. He was elderly, in pain, and could no longer walk. This is a devastating event on its own. But compared to watching your favorite person deteriorate and die, then getting your ass dumped weeks later, It pales. I sang gently to him as he was given the lethal injection and slipped away from us. To fill the space of Yoda's little footsteps through the house, I'd adopted two rescue kittens, Kizu and Mimo. They would sleep snuggled up on either side of my neck and remind me I was loved. They served as a tremendous aid in getting me up in the morning. Even if I did nothing else with my day, I knew that I needed to feed those furry munchkins twice a day without fail. They gave me purpose and a glimpse of joy. These kittens were the only thing keeping me going until Kizu disappeared. I waited, hoping she had just gone out hunting for mice or skinks and would eventually come back. But days passed without a sign of her. Two weeks later, I would start to smell the very distinct stench of rotting kitty from beneath the house. Later still, a handyman would find her and proudly remark how he had just found the Biggest dead rat he'd ever seen. I laughed in horror because I didn't know what else to do. It was like I had acquired the world's worst superpower and everything I touched turned to dead. It didn't end there. My grief was complex incessant and seeped into every aspect of my life. I continued to get angrier and more erratic, unable to separate my pain from my work, studies and friendships. I couldn't relate to anyone around me anymore. These enthusiastic, active people who cared about things like health, climate change and social justice. I couldn't care for myself, let alone the whole fucking planet. It seemed elitist and privileged even to be capable of caring. I was angry at them for having free space in their minds and hearts for others over there when I was drowning in front of them. What about me? Help me! I had been given a coveted position at a yoga studio and was desperate to make a good impression. But I was a wreck. I would drive to work, smoking out the window and sobbing uncontrollably the entire way. I wished I had windscreen wipers on my eyes to help me see the road as I drove. I could no longer listen to music. Sad music broke my heart and happy music mocked me. It would be four whole years before I could listen to music again. When I got to work, I would quickly snort a line and take a few slugs of leftover wine that was still in the fridge from the Christmas party. Then I would chew down some mints a pathetic attempt at masking the smell of booze and cigarettes, splashed some cold water on my face, followed by a little concealer, then practiced smiling a few times in the mirror. It's showtime! I don't know if you have ever attempted to stand on one leg while drunk and high, but the fact it took me several months to get fired is a testament to my balancing act. Truthfully, I was relieved to be let go. Can't pour from an empty cup and all that hippie shit. So, as an act of goodwill, I kept that cup full to the brim with a double vodka crayons. In an effort to heal, I organised to see a new psychologist. I was on my way to our initial session, hopeful that someone new might save me. I had just been to a meditation class and was feeling about as centred as possible. To get to the appointment, I had to drive past both Simon's and Sam's streets, which gave me intense anxiety. I tried to breathe through it holding on to the remnants of calm from the class. Inhale calm, exhale stress. Inhale calm, exhale stress. Inhale I slammed on the brakes as my wheels screeched violently against the road. The airbags slapped me in the face as the car came to a dead halt. I looked out of my left side window to see that a blue sedan had T-boned my little Suzuki Swift. The poor man's mini, Sam used to tease. I quickly assessed whether I was dead and realised disappointingly I was not. Why? Why? It didn't make sense to dangle death right in front of my nose like that and not commit. Just do it. When the ambulance and police arrived, I was trapped in my car, screaming at the top of my lungs. It was like I was trying to exercise a demon that had latched itself onto me and wouldn't let go. I screamed because I was alone in the world. I screamed because I was alive. I screamed because I felt like a goddamn puppet. And I screamed because even my fucking depression kitten died. I just fucking screamed. You know that scene in Ozark where Ruth realises she has nothing left to lose and ends up screaming at the top of her lungs. If you want to stop me, you're gonna have to fucking kill me! I found comfort in that. It made me feel seen. My car was rubble, but I was unharmed and the Ambos kept asking who can we call to come get you. They asked me over and over as I cried, no one, I have no one, I have no one. The police wouldn't take me home because I lived outside their district but they felt sorry enough for me to try and flag down a taxi. After 20 minutes of failed attempts, they asked me to book an Uber. The driver tried to make small talk, but I couldn't hear him. I stared numbly out the window, listening to the blood pulsating between my ears. A week later... When I was able to get to my psych, I asked her in earnest if this life was nothing but a cruel joke or perhaps I had died and this was hell. I wanted answers. Why had things taken such a dark turn with no sign of relief? I needed to know if... If I would be given a chance to heal, or if suffering would just keep coming. She replied, Unfortunately, there is no finite amount of suffering a person can experience. We like to tell ourselves things like, Bad things come in threes, or everything happens for a reason. But the truth is, life is mostly random. Some people will experience a lot of suffering. And others travel through life without much at all. Within a year, I had lost my relationship, my Sam, my home, my job, my dog, my kitten, my car, my sanity. And to top it off, my album launch, which had a decent turnout, brought no career reward. I had nothing. And when you have nothing left, nothing matters. When you don't value life, you can do anything because the consequences don't bother you. I was hopeless, but I was free. Free to look crazy, to be violent, to take the pain away in any self-destructive way I needed because what's the worst that can happen? I die? (laughs) Who gives a flying fuck? If my life was going up in flames, I was taking the world with me. Stage direction. Pulls hoodie overhead and stares down the barrel of the camera. A la Elizabeth Moss at the end of every episode of The Handmaid's Tale. Bring it. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Once again, follow along for my journey in the halfway house on TikTok at Gutter Glitter Memoir and the same handle on Instagram. Please help me out by giving a five-star review. If you can write a little comment, that's great too. And don't forget to share the podcast and the book with friends and family. Either word by mouth is a great way for me to start to grow um, or even on your social media is, is wonderful as well. I... Right. <clears throat> I deeply appreciate all your love and support, especially as I'm having a bit of a hard time at the moment. It really is helping keep me going. So I, I just wanted to pop back in your ears and tell you that I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Lots of love and I'll see you next week.